Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 237 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojan. We've got a lot to talk about this week. We have uh, Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. We have Coach Harvey Hyde, as always, in the first segment talking about USC's victory against Syracuse back at MetLife Stadium. Uh, we do have a bunch of questions to get to, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you have questions, email us now, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave a brief voicemail, and we'll play it on the air and try to answer your question. You can also go to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a question there on the left side of the page. Lots of ways to get in touch with us, and we'd love to hear from you and talk about what you would like to hear about well when he, i know you guys love to hear from coach harvey hyde he is joining us in the very first segment as always coach what's going on sir how are you how are you ryan everything good i am good just ready for week three of the college football season taking a trip up to palo alto for the usc stanford game so it should be a lot of fun should be a lot of fun it's only fun if you win ryan remember <laughs> that it's only fun if you win and uh, that's what it's all about and that's what makes college football so exciting and NFL football is fun to watch and I don't think it's uh, as exciting as college football I get revved up with college football NFL football I can read the paper and watch a game at the same time so uh, but I'm ready to get started but let's thank Southern California Ticket Service because they make this thing happen they certainly do sctickets.com is the website it's Southern California tickets, so sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. You want to go up to Palo Alto, check out the USC-Stanford game, you can get tickets there. It's a very tough ticket from what I understand. And then, of course, USC, all the, the remaining home games. There should be a lot of exciting games on the docket, including USC-Oregon, November 3rd. You go to sctickets.com, and they'll hook you up. And, Coach, I guess maybe get your first impressions from what was a uh, – it was a very strange, very weird – road trip for the Trojans. I think the fans had a great time in New York, but with the weather and just the kind of weird way that the game played out, it, just was, it was just kind of a weird game overall. Well, Ryan, I really don't know where to start. Uh, and if I ramble on a little bit too much, just interrupt me. First of all, as I mentioned, uh, you went there to get a W and you got the W, 42-29 over a Syracuse football team. You're favored by 26 points, but what does that mean as long as you get the victory? But you always care about how you played the football game with your emotions and game plans and the attitude of players and mistakes and all the things you're supposed to improve on with this so-called thing if you get better between the first and second week. Uh, first of all, I want to clarify the win was fantastic. Uh, I think Syracuse was a better football team than we all thought. Uh, they were beaten by Northwestern. Uh, they could have beaten Northwestern. Northwestern went on to beat Vandy, and I think Vandy's a hell of a football program right now. In fact, Vandy gave South Carolina a heck of a game the week before. Northwestern beat Vandy 23-13. So I'm trying to justify 
all the things I'm going to say because I think Syracuse was a team that you couldn't take for granted, a team that was not intimidated, a team that came with a, a real game plan, a team that uh, had it together and thought they could beat USC, and they certainly showed that. Uh, what do I remember about the game? I think the main thoughts I remember about the game, and I want to break it down offensively, defense, and my overall opinion in the bottom line. But offense, I remember six touchdown passes. I remember great athletes making great efforts. And I remember that what really sticks out to me, no rushing touchdowns. Uh, defensively, uh, no real domination and consistency. You need some improvements immediately in certain areas, and thank you, thank you for linebackers Deion Bailey and Hayes Pillard, who have been my players of the week defensively the past two weeks, Pillard against Hawaii, and Bailey against Syracuse with the great plays they've had. Pillard scored a touchdown, Bailey's intercepted, I think, two or three passes now. They're all over the field. They, they really bring uh, something to uh, that USC defense. Now, my overall opinion, I think the team lacked excitement. I think they lacked emotion. They went to the East Coast to make a real impression on the East Coast media, and uh, they got the win. They made that impression, but did they really uh, make that impression they wanted to? Did they go back there and dominate and make people's, a, people believers that USC is the number one team in the country? They played hard but it seems as though they lack the emotional effort. I think they watched too much film on the first half of the Northwestern-Syracuse game where players watch a lot of film and become overconfident. Now, this, I don't know. I'm just saying this is what my opinion is as far as being around players before, showing films, players forming opinions. And then again, I think the trip was probably drawn out a little bit too long where it became boring and uh, too many walkthroughs, too much preparation, uh, too much uh, where the kids probably just wanted to get the game over with. And, of course, the halftime uh, delay of an hour and ten minutes like, it wasn't a pleasant thing. But remember, both teams have that delay. So it isn't just for USC. It's for Syracuse, too. So we can't really make that a reason why uh, they lack the emotion. But, again, they got what they wanted. They got their win. They're 2-0. and and uh, other teams in the country would love to say they're 2-0, such as Arkansas, Wisconsin, Miami, Colorado. How about Colorado State? And then, of course, Utah being beaten by Utah State. And I'm going to predict Utah State's going to go back and beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin this this week. Wow. Del- yep. And delay of game penalties. Uh, I'm going to tell you, those things have to come to an end. And like that one penalty, 12, 12 men on the field, those things have got to go because – they make the difference in really great close football games. And this week at Stanford, Stanford uh, beat Duke 50-13. to They beat San Jose, a team that, you know, a lot of people don't expect that they're very good. But uh, I'll tell you, they're getting better. And uh, SC's got to take their game because Stanford is not intimidated by USC. Remember that. They're not intimidated. They've won four of the last five, I believe against USC. So they're sort of excited about playing SC, not intimidated, but looking forward to it, to setting the record straight. So SC's got to go up there and improve on a lot of different things in game planning, defensive techniques, uh, types of routes, running game, different defenses. You're going to have a guy on the nose, which the new center, 
Hobie has never seen before, Holmes had never seen before, and I think two of the most serious things that happened in the game is losing Holmes and also Hadari. I just heard about Hadari having uh, surgery, and I think Alex Woods is a guy, and is it Wood or Wood? I think it's Wood. Yeah. And and I tell you, I thought he kicked six beautiful extra points right down the middle, and you got to tell him you're a guy. If we need a field goal, you got to get it for us. There's no question. You don't go for it. You kick the field goal because if you just don't do that and you just go for two points and you don't kick points when you play a great team like Stanford, you're in trouble. So that's my overall opinion as far as the game is how I remember it. Am I going to get in the offense? Am I going to get into the defense? Those are questions you can ask me or our callers can ask me. The, uh, I actually wanted to you, – you mentioned the special teams aspect, and I wanted to bring that up. I don't know if, if people realize, but two games in, Coach, I don't know if you've ever done this in your career. USC's gone for it nine times on fourth down, converted five of them, and part of it being that the you know Andre Hadari was out and, and Lane Kiffin's being very – I guess secretive about injuries and you know, we knew he wasn't kicking and he wasn't at practice and we're not really allowed to talk about that. Um, but we weren't really sure what was going to happen. Uh, you know, you know, they, they have a, you know, uh, bringing a new guy and he's kicking extra points to them. I'm not sure how confident they're going to be to kick a field goal. If it's fourth and five at the, at the 25, are they going to go for it? I mean, they, they went for it on fourth and 12 in this last game. Should that be a concern for USC fans going forward that, you know, maybe the one aspect of the special teams, which I thought played very well overall, you know, in the first two games, uh, that could be a concern for USC going forward. Oh, definitely. You can't just continue going on fourth down because there's going to be a key time when you miss it. And then you'd lose the points. You got to take the points when you can get the points, especially against good teams. Now, Alex Wood, I really never heard of him before. He's number 39. I didn't even know who 39 was. But I'll tell you, you got, he's your guy. You got to make him your guy. You got to build confidence up. You've got to have a, a lot, the team have confidence in him. So if it comes down to that kick, like last year, if you remember, the Oregon kicker missed the field goal and they lost the game. So uh, you know you can't do that. You've got to have a kick. I'm very surprised. I'm going to put it to you this way. I'm very surprised that SC does not have a backup kicker. I mean, normally you have walk-ons like Alex who come in that are not scholarship quality, but there's so many kickers out there that don't get athletic scholarships that are capable kickers as far as performing uh, in college. I had several of them. In fact, I don't believe, I think I scholarshiped one kicker, and most of them were walk-ons who just wanted to be part of the team and really did one heck of a job. So, uh, yeah, Alex is the guy, and uh, he's got to get it done. And he's got to win a football game for you. If there's two seconds left in the game and you're on the 20-yard line, you say, Alex, get in there and kick it. You don't say, Alex, I'm not sure you're going to make it, but get in there and kick it. you got to tell him, get in there and get it done, son, and we'll carry you off on our shoulders. you got to do that. you got to build confidence this week, and he did a great job. I'd have made him my special teams player of the week, but it had been pretty hard to do that with the way Robert Woods played and, and uh, what he did in the game. And I'll tell you, I think another thing, too, it's a little early to say, that Marquise Lee is going to be the greatest receiver in the history of USC. There's been some great receivers there. I'd like to get Keyshawn Johnson's opinion on that and others because there's a kid named that was an All-American last year, freshman All-American Robert Woods, who had a pretty good day. Two touchdowns, a 76-yard reverse, 31-yard punt return, 10 catches for 93 yards. 
and uh, I thought had a great year, a great day. And I'll tell you, with both of them, they might be the best pair of receivers maybe ever at USC. But I think it's a little early to point out one over the other, especially when when they're still there together. Exactly, yeah. But there's a long way to go. <laughs> Marquis Lee's going to catch a lot more passes for USC over the next couple of years. Uh, let's see. Let's get to some of these questions, Coach. Um this one's from Gene in the OC. He says, hi, Ryan. Love the podcast. I've never missed one. Uh, the best receivers from USC are covered by two and three-star defensive backs. USC has four and five-star defensive backs and for some reason leave opponents two and three-star receivers wide open. Are plays lacking? Is is Monty Kiffin calling bad plays? He thinks Monty Kiffin should be replaced. And we had the, we've had a couple of things like that where they don't feel like the Monty Kiffin defense is doing a good job right now. And people have wrote in and talked about firing Monty Kiffin. What are your thoughts on the defensive game plan and how that's working? Well, I'm never going to advocate firing anyone because I'm an ex coach. Okay. And they have families. He's part of the family. And I can't see Lane Kiffin firing his father because I think his father's responsible for Lane Kiffin's career. As far as starting him and placing him as a Jag graduate assistant and assisting him in jobs and recruiting and all the things that are, a family does for their children. And you don't go out and fire your dad. Your dad, it's his life. It's his life. Look what happened to Bear Bryant. Look what happened to uh, Woody Hayes. Look what happened to all these coaches once they got out of the football. Joe Paterno, of course, had cancer, and he passed away too, and he lost his coaching job. So I don't think you go out and fire anybody. But, uh, of course, that's not my decision, and that's someone else's decision. But I'm not advocating that. But when you look and you see the Syracuse had 455 yards total offense, you would look at that and you would say, well, you know, and that's what a quarterback that's not running, that's what a quarterback that's throwing, and that's what power backs, not speedy backs like Oregon have and these other schools have. And looking at what you have to face when you look at Arizona beating Oklahoma State, Arizona State blowing out Illinois, you look at uh, these other games this past weekend, even Oregon State beating Wisconsin, but SC doesn't play Oregon State. You say, hey, you know, you better sure it up a little bit because you're going to find uh, far more explosive football teams or play than Syracuse was. Not that that kid Nesip didn't uh, throw the ball around good, but he also, we gave him opportunities to throw the ball around too. And, uh, you know, when you have a corner like Cal Roby, that he shorts sure, that up. He's got that taken care of. But when you go with Brown, you go with Bauckham, you go with Seymour, you go with Harris, you go with four corners in the game, Anytime a kid makes a mistake, you pull him out of the game, and don't get me wrong, you get upset when a kid falls down, you get accept, uh, upset when a kid makes a, has a penalty or misses a tackle. But no one's really getting an opportunity to get the rhythm or find out or get enough film in consistent plays and series to correct his mistakes or to feel like, he, that's the guy. So uh, I think they have to do something with that one corner, whatever that corner might be. I think the corners, too, aren't getting help from the safeties at all. The safeties are like linebackers. They're up to making tackles every play. Uh, a couple of the deep routes, uh, the one floater pass that was, I forget, completed. Uh, it was, I mean, it would have uh, it brought rain. It was up in the air, and the <laughs> safety wasn't over there. Uh, to help that corner, uh, you know, and uh, safety's got to be over there. And one thing I haven't ever seen is safety's help much uh, on uh, on deep passes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think you've got to confuse, too, a little bit more. 
in your alignments and, and, and chill blitz and pull out of the blitz. And if they're throwing uh, to your, you know, quick passes, you're, you're playing soft, maybe you ought to roll up and uh, play man and, and try to throw them off the routes where they, where they don't have the timing and also roll up and play cover two, which is uh, where a man plays on the line of scrimmage, stays with him unless he has a back coming in his area and the safety takes him deep. And it let the linebackers cover the tight end. The tight end was going to kill you. And with Bailey and Pollard, they'll they'll take the linebacker out of the game. And Syracuse isn't the team that was throwing the ball to their backs. Or if they did throw the ball to their backs, those backs aren't going to run away from anybody. So, yeah, you got to give your corners some help, and you got to get pressure on the passer. And and Nizip was a guy. The whole game plan was to get rid of the ball quickly. And I would too when you play your corners off soft. They're giving you those routes. So. Uh, Yep, and on the on the goal line at times, I'm concerned about the alignment of the defensive back, especially when you line up in the end zone and you're playing a soft technique. All they got to do is throw the ball out there and they got a touchdown. Or when you come up and you on uh, that one slant route for a touchdown, the receiver went out about five or eight yards from the sideline and Torn Harris is playing him almost head up. Uh, you got to play him inside, take the field away from him. And, uh, you know, make them play the short side of the field where they don't have a lot of field, they don't have a lot of options, or what type of rights and routes they can run. But, of course, let me tell you, this is the way I do it, or I would do it. It's not, you know, other people are far more intelligent and I haven't watched the films and so on on how they play it. But I'm just giving you observations of what I would do if I was coaching. I'm not coaching. I'm just talking, and it's always a lot easier to come back later and tell you this. All right. Um, let's see. Let's go to uh, – this is Greg in the OC. Please share with us the process used by the coaching staff of returning home from a cross-country road game, evaluating the game film and personnel, then developing the game plan for the following Saturday's road game. So that's obviously what USC is doing right now, a long trip cross-country have to fly back, and then now you have to go back on the road again, first conference opener. What, how's that process work usually for a coach? Well, first of all, so you know, on the plane coming back from New York, uh, each coach had a computer uh, highlight of the game complete. Uh, the head coach, Lane Kiffin, probably had the full game with no commercials so they can watch it quickly, and then also the offense, where you can watch the entire offense. Coming home on that five-hour flight, uh, they break down their entire uh, game by positions, uh, break down the players, grade the players, have that all ready for their meeting uh, today. They come back, and uh, and they're ready for their meeting, and they get that game out of the way immediately. They coach off the tapes. They know exactly what it is. And when they're gone, their graduate assistants or during the week have already broken down the Stanford's game, the first game, which would have been against San Jose State. So they've already broke that game down, and each coach has the San Jose State game, already has it in their computers, so when they get back, they can flash them on the big screen, or they may have even taken it with them, so on the plane coming back, they could take a look at Stanford and break them down, at least get an idea of what Stanford's doing. Now, as far as when they got in their office today, or maybe when they got home at 1.30 in the morning, at that time, the Duke film from Stanford had already been delivered to them if they went by the office or they're in their computers. So when they went in yesterday, they had already the Syracuse film done, ready to go. They've already broken down San Jose for them. They're breaking down uh, Duke, 
and they're ready today or yesterday. We started game planning always on Sundays. We stayed late on Sunday, starting our initial overall game plan and philosophy of not only the way we played, what we need to improve on, personnel. You go over personnel to decide if you're making personnel changes, uh, who's going where, who played well, where we need help at, what did you guys think we did wrong, offensively, defensively, discuss everything, injury reports on all the players who got hurt, who can we count on going this week or who can't go this week, uh, who's a maybe or maybe not. Start to put together in your mind your traveling squad and start to look at such things as the place kicking, the field goals and things and have an answer for that. Then the coaches break and they go all their own individual way and start to evaluate all the different defenses and blocking schemes and stuff they're going to have to use uh, against Stanford. Then as it goes through the week, they complete the game planning on certain days. Tuesday, uh, they start to introduce the game plan. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and they're all different phases of the game plan. And uh, then they uh, leave on Friday. They do walkthroughs in their hotel all the time, walkthroughs. And uh, that's uh, making sure it's like a chalk talk. But I always felt that why put it on the board when they then you have to go and walk through it? Just spend twice as much time walking through it where kids can actually see what's going on. It's so much easier. So uh, then they go to bed. They have their games. They get up in the morning. they got a 4.30 game. So uh, at Stanford, uh, they'll sit around a while. They'll have more meetings. They'll have their pregame meal. They get taped in the hotel. Normally, you tape up everything in the hotel except for last-minute taping. You're taped when you get to the stadium. And then you have your procedures in the locker room and uh, as far as taking the early outs and doing your thing. So there's a pr- procedure, a complete procedure that every coach is somewhat uh, uh, standard in. I, I mean, I even had special seating on the plane. I'm sure SC has the same. Everyone had the same seat. Everybody room with people you want in the room with. I mean, uh, uh, like this year, Manugian and Wittick uh, uh, room together, uh, Barkley and uh, – Cody Kessler room together, and they review the game plans in the room and ask questions to each other so that so that they're fresh and, and if they have any questions they can do that. My tackles always room together, my guards room together, so that they always had an opportunity when they're together to talk about the game plan. So uh, that's basically a procedure: many hours of preparation, and then when you're through, uh, the big uh, uh, the big paycheck is a W. And that's what it's all about. You've got to win today. You've got to win. It makes you feel good and you enjoy it until you get back, because then you start preparing for the next one. All right. Uh, and we have one last question, Coach. Charlie in Carson, California. He said, excuse me, is it me, or does it seem that USC is running a vanilla offense? I honestly think that Kiffin isn't going to show much until USC finds itself up against one of the five-ranked Pac-12 teams for instance the first game against Hawaii it was a fade to the left fade to the right this game it was short passes to Woods and Lee while on one of the the tight end blocks down the field and a fade to the left or a fade to the right I was wondering when USC would bring out that Drew Brees Saints offense or Patriots offense using more of the tight ends that they had studied over the summer well uh let me put it to you this way when it was 21 16 in the fourth quarter I had heartburn okay uh, I don't know if anybody else was nervous about that game, but I was, and I, I don't know if there's uh, a reason to save anything. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, first of all, 
I think that you can only run so many quick screens. I, I don't know how many screens they ran in that game to the left, to the right, but they ran about 20, I would say, or 30. It just seemed like the only route they really wanted to run. They threw one deep post that was intercepted. If the guy's going to be all over that post like that, and you should come back and run a post corner, the safety or the corner would have still been running, been up in the stands by now, and uh, the guy would have been in the end zone when he ran for the flag. So, uh, you know, you've got to repeat things, or if somebody's going to play you like that, you come back and take advantage of, if you do this, I do that. You can't do everything. I don't really think they... Uh, they they had tremendous athletic efforts by Lee, by Woods. Uh, the play of the game offensively for me was when Woods caught that screen off, a uh, quick screen to the left side of the field and broke back and went, uh, ran about 56 yards. It was third and nine, ran about 56 yards and got a first down. That screen wasn't designed to go there, but it was all athletic ability. And you have a lot of athletic ability guys making play, Grimble's play. When he caught that football, he refused to go down. That's an athletic effort. Now, after you caught the play ball, you finished the play. And that's what Woods does. That's what Marquise Lees does. The thing that, the thing that I sometimes become, and you know what I mean, you know, I'm very concerned because I believe in the running game. When, and I started it by saying six touchdown passes. Hey, you mean you can't rush for a touchdown when you get down there in the two-yard line? You can't punch the ball in? You've got to throw passes. Now, I think it's great to score. And like Coach Kiffin said, be happy with what you got. I agree with that. But you've got to, down the road, be able to run the football. Down there, you've got to be able, you can't be soft in the offensive line. Now, I'm not saying you're there soft, but you've got to run it in where the linemen have an opportunity to say they got off the line of scrimmage and blocked somebody in the back scored. So you can't continually throw flies and quick outs and slants. Not that they weren't successful with them, but you got to develop the running game off of that. So that was my quote. And when you looked at the rushing game, they rushed for, what, uh, 258 yards? 126 yards of them were off of uh, the reverse. I think the reverse went 70 yards or 76 yards, and I think Red got a, a rushing play of 40 yards. That's 126 yards of the 258 yards. And not that they don't count, they all count, but you want to be able to have, be consistent and have confidence in your running game because a lot of the great efforts that were made in the running game by Red and McNeil, they were hit behind the line of scrimmage and made great efforts in getting out of it with defense didn't wrap up because of their quickness and made plays. So uh, I think you've got to run plays over and over and over to do that, to be able to get better and uh uh, I hope down the road, like they ran a bootleg, uh, I think the first play of the game offensively, and they hadn't even established the running game. Uh, you know, I, I just sometimes can't figure that out. But, of course, that's not for me to figure out. That's for them to figure out. My my job is to just comment on what I see. That's all I'm doing is commenting on what I see. That makes sense, Co- <clears throat> Excuse me, makes sense, Coach. But one, one question I had for you, and I thought about you when – Early in the game, Lane Kiffin on his own side of the field went for it on fourth and one. I like a running play to some of Anuku. You should be able to pick that up. That play just got blown up on every which way you could. What were your thoughts on that? And what was going wrong in the interior of that offensive line where they couldn't really establish the run and, and the defensive line from Syracuse was just in the backfield all the time? Well, you know, first of all, to be able to be, be good at those things, you've got to be able to 
make your team tough in believing in they can run for a first down when they need it. Right now, the offensive line most of the time is doing pass blocking instead of firing out and owning the line of scrimmage. So when you need it in that type of situation, the only way you're going to get it if you if you work on it. And it's really tough to run right in the middle of the off defensive line because when it's a fourth and down situation like that, the defensive linemen are down on their knuckles and submarining, and the linebackers are up there to knock a guy backwards. And it's it's a play that's very difficult to do. You're, you're almost better to just quarterback sneak it. But it wasn't a six-inch play. It was about a yard, if I remember. Yeah. And when it's a yard, it's very difficult to run up the middle like that. Very difficult. But you're also getting pinches from the tackle, and everybody's pinching the inside. That's a play that uh, when it's fourth and one like that, a great uh, delay play to your tight end. Uh, he bumps, blocks, and comes out, and you play action pass. Or you run a toss outside uh, because everybody's pinching. And... Uh, something like that. But, uh, you know, he did it. It didn't work. But first of all, when he made that call, I said, wrong decision. This is in my mind. Wrong decision. Punt the ball. Don't take chances this early in the game. That makes sense, Coach. Uh, I mean, you can second guess all you want. It was surprising. I think three times in the first quarter alone, <laughs> he went for it on a, on a fourth down play. You don't, you don't see that very often. No, you don't. And I'll tell you, the momentum of the game changes. When people, when you do that and the team stops you, they start to believe they're going to beat your butt because that momentum changes when they come off the field. Their coach is saying, you see what I told you? They see what I told you? They're soft up front. They can't beat us. They're going to run on us all day. We're going to kick the you-know-what out of them. And, and, and you've got to keep the momentum where you're still in charge, in control. You've got to be in control of the game, especially when you're on the road. Why would you put the crowd in the game when you're on the road. Now, you know, that's just the way I look at it. You've got to keep the crowd out of the game. and You can't give them any reasons, any turnovers, any stupid type of things to get the crowd into the game and get them fired up or play, let them play you close where they think they can beat you. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, Coach. Well, we'll see uh, what happens this weekend. It's going to be a big test up in Palo Alto. Sure is. Thanks very much for... Uh, Come on the show, Coach, and answer everyone's questions. We'll we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Hey, Ryan, I was just getting warmed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Hey, you're wanna... getting rid of me. I'm just getting warmed up. We're a half hour in already. Boom. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> I'll let you go because I know you have others out there. But I certainly appreciate the opportunity of being on uscfootball.com and all of our listeners out there. We appreciate you listening. And, Ryan, uh, have a great week. And uh, next week we'll talk about Stanford. Sounds great, Coach. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. 
We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who just made the long trip back from the New York, New Jersey area back to Los Angeles, going to get his thoughts on what he witnessed over there against Syracuse at MetLife Stadium. Uh, Dan, welcome back. What's going on? How are you? Oh, uh, the whirlwind trip. Uh, probably more difficult than I think we, we give it credit for sometimes because of the 48-hour rule, you know, and the kids, I'm not sure that, you know, they really have enough time to completely adjust to the time change. And, and, and I'm willing to kind of think that maybe that was some of what, uh, I mean, when you have Robert Lee and uh, uh, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee both looking like they're kind of running in quicksand a little bit at the start of the game, you think it's probably more than just, uh, you know, some kind of psychological situation. You think it, it? I mean, they really that you know. I think they try to do everything they can to probably get them ready for that. But I, I think that might be a little bit too uh, too quick. Uh, I think the NFL teams, are, you know, have a great deal of difficulty making that trip, and they're much more used to it, and that's all they do. So uh, I think it's just a challenge, no matter how you handle it, no matter who you're playing. Uh, it's kind of a challenge, and, and you know, it may be another one of those reasons why the SEC is smarter than everybody else in terms of uh, handling this whole BCS thing. They just don't do it, you know. You can't if you got to go to a, a, a game that's uh, going to cause you to have a different, you know, time zone. They're just not doing it most mostly, and so uh, USC, you got to give them credit. Nobody else does. Nobody else in the position USC's in ever does things like that uh, much uh, at all. You know, maybe Notre Dame will go play, uh, you know, in Dublin against Navy. But uh, it really is, uh, I think it really is a challenge, and you got to give them credit for getting through uh, through the day with all the other things that, you know, ended up happening with the weather and all that. Um, give them credit for hanging in there and getting it done and getting home. Yeah, if you haven't read Dan's uh, report uh, about how weird of a game this was, definitely go check it out on uscfootball.com. And we had a bunch of different questions, Dan. I want to play this voicemail for you. It kind of touches on two of the major aspects of uh, what people were concerned about. Here you go. Hey, guys. This is Anthony Manicolin from Salinas, California. I had two questions. First, I'm getting tired, as all the nations getting tired of seeing these 20, 30-yard completions or 15-yard completions for a first down, can we please lock up on these receivers, play tighter coverage, maybe have some safety help, but this is killing me, and I'm pretty sure it's killing everybody else. Second, why does Kiffin not utilize his young talent? Nelson Aguilar, George Farmer, they only come in to block. It's all obvious when they come in. Wood comes out, Marquise comes out, it's only to give them a break. Um, he did the same thing with Kyle Prater, put him in the red zone, or he'd come in just to block. He got a 6'5 receiver, the number one receiver in the nation in high school. At least give him a chance in the red zone. I, I don't get why he doesn't utilize these young guys more. Um, that's it. Um, thanks a lot. Fight on, and good luck this week. Uh, okay, for Anthony and, and Salinas, I'm not sure the framing of the question uh, – why not give the young guys more, uh, you know, more shot at it? Uh, I'm not sure anybody in the country has given young guy Robert Woods more of a shot 
when he was a freshman or a young guy, Marquise Lee, uh, you know, more of a shot when he was a freshman. So I don't know that framing it that way. Uh, and I, you know, for example, love Kyle Prater and, uh, his problem, a was getting on the field in practice, uh, as many times as he, uh, would, would do something spectacular just as often he wouldn't be there or he'd do something spectacular one day and the next day he wasn't healthy. Uh, and the, there was the, no ability, I think, in, in some cases, to build up that that uh, level that a coach has to trust that you know you'll be there and be able to do what we ask you to do. And if you saw the Northwestern Syracuse game, Kyle still looks like he's having some trouble getting up to speed and getting off the line of scrimmage and and and, and handling situations where defenders can kind of you know push him off the off the route and get into his body and that. So I'm not sure that was a a youth thing or an age thing. Uh, that was a you know just ability to practice. Now that obviously doesn't factor in with Nelson Aguilar. Nobody has had a you know nobody had a better summer. Nobody's had a better August than than he has. He's there you know to do everything uh, uh, USC wants him to do. I don't know that we have a good answer right now as to what the thinking has been uh, about. Uh, about Lane's approach to how he's running the offense the first couple of games, why it looks a little bit more like it did early last year than it looked like at the end of last year, why it hasn't expanded, uh, what, what's happened to the tight ends, for example. Uh, I asked you know, Lane this question. also talked to him about, you know, is this the NFL preseason for you? You know, is this that approach where you kind of don't, you know, you're Bill Belichick and you don't show anybody anything? And you let them guess, you know, what you're really going to do, what the game plan is. I think some of this we're not going to know until after Saturday. Uh, you know, was this uh, a two-game preseason uh, approach to, uh, you know, A, a road game uh, in the Pac-12, and B, uh, kind of a revenge Stanford game. Uh, so I, I don't know that we can we can answer your question, and I don't know that, you know, I totally agree with the fact that, uh, young players are, are a problem for Lane. Uh, I don't think that's the case. What the situation is with the uh, other cornerback, you know, if you watched it Saturday, one of the problems Saturday was the one time uh, that you really focused on uh, on the other cornerback coming up, he got run right by, uh, you know, in the red zone and, you know, beat just like he was nailed, you know, to the ground and uh, had no ability to, uh, to backpedal, which is like that's the thing that they, you know, they've just preached and preached, uh, you know, don't get beat deep. And uh, uh, now that's like the best, the worst of both worlds, obviously. If you're giving them a cushion most of the time and then you get beat deep, uh, it's like, wow, what do you do now? Uh, essentially what they've said is they all have to start playing better. And they're living with it until they get him to play better now. Torrin Harris, that was his first action since the first four games last year when he started. And uh didn't look bad. I mean, didn't, it wasn't great, you know, but he, you know, was back on the field. And I think he's going to be, you know, I think they hope he's the answer. And I think one of the things you know, you know with the Kiffins is if they trust you, they will allow you to do things that they won't maybe allow P. 
people they don't trust. I think they really like Torn. I think they like his frame. They like his size. They like his NFL potential. I think they do measure uh, some of the you know kids when they look at them and look at their NFL potential and look at their top you know the the you know the high side with how much can we do with these kids. I think Torn they have a feeling that they can do a lot with him. So the quicker he gets back, I think the the better chance that that problem has of resolving itself. So we'll see. Uh, but he'll probably play more this week, and I think they'll let Torn do more. All right. Um, let's go to Tim as kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, he wants to know, did, do- did Josh Shaw play corner at Florida? It seems like playing him at corner opposite Roby would get the best four DBs on the field this year. Uh, there's a lot of depth at safety, but the second corner position seems soft, something you were just talking about. Well, they've got numbers at the corners. Uh, and they've got obviously got numbers at the safety, but three of those safeties are going to be gone next year. And I think Lane's plan is, uh, you know, not just this year, but next year and the year after. I think they look at Josh Shaw. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. He likes to be a cover guy. He really thinks of himself as a cover guy. But he was a safety at, at Florida when push came to shove. I think he, he may have played some corner also at Florida, but I think he – they thought of him as, as a safety of Florida. I think he could probably be a pretty good corner, and I think he, I think corner, a lot of it is just uh, your mentality. You know, if you like to really cover people and, 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 you know, come up and take their, you know, first step away from them and do all that kind of thing and press uh, coverage, uh, I think that really helps. Uh, but the fact that he is six, you know, six one, almost six one anyway, and, and almost, you know, right at 200 pounds, he doesn't look like a corner in a lot of ways. And uh, I just think they've made the decision that he could be a very good safety and a very important safety next year. But now he's in a position where they've got, you know, four guys with experience uh, and four tough kids and uh, four guys that really know the system and uh, uh, three of whom will be gone. So, you know, the dilemma is he looks like a good athlete. He looks like an aggressive kid. looks like he's got a lot of skills. Uh, But if you play in corner this year, is he as ready to step in next year and be a starting safety? Uh, And I think they really – but then, you know, if you've got four other guys that you're playing, what are the number of reps he gets, you know, at safety this year? It's kind of a dilemma. Uh, it sure looks like Lane has resolved it now in, you know, in favor of, you know, Josh Shaw, your safety. So uh, I, I think the answer, you know, we immediately got when it, we, you know, when that was talked about is don't forget Torrin Harris is back. And so that changes in Lane's mind, I think, in Monty's mind, the, the return of Torrin Harris changes the Josh Shaw situation. Uh, it probably finishes it for the season, uh, absent any other health developments. Okay. Uh, let's see. We had an interesting que- question from Richard. He actually tried to send a voicemail, and there were some technical problems, but he emailed me instead. Uh, he basically wants to know, are we playing for numbers instead of using real game strategy? It seems like we are trying to highlight players instead of having a good sound game plan. I just don't see any strategy in the play calling. I'm not a coach. So maybe I'm just not seeing it. I hope that made sense. 
Yeah, no, I think, uh, Richard, it's a question I ask myself. Uh, I see them running plays. Now, I, I will say this. They set up the reverses. I thought they did a pretty good job and uh, against the way both teams seem to have played the run. Uh, I thought they set it up pretty nicely, and I think in a way that they're saying to teams, okay, if you want to do this, this is what you can, you know, you can expect. Well, teams can't load up on the run the way they've been and still defend against the, uh, the reverse, so they're, you're not exactly giving anything away. But the fact that they're, you really don't, you know, see, I know Lane has said, well, we're, you know, uh, Matt's audibling, uh, and, you know, he's done a nice job. But then at the same time, he said, but he hasn't had too much. I mean, we saw one, you know, play that was obvious where he audible to the run and, and it got a really nice, uh, you know, everybody blocked it really well and in the red zone. And, and uh, uh, I guess it was a Nelson or a Silas uh, red. And, uh, you know, looked like a little bit of the second half last year. But we haven't seen that as much. It just doesn't look like. Uh, and, and Lane said, because the way they're, you know, spread and then they don't have to you know adjust as much this year uh offensively uh the fact that they're not using the tight ends as much uh, not going down the scene not taking not dragging guys across the field uh, and and trying to create a lot of really bad mismatches and, and what have you i i think we don't know the answer to that question we're hoping that saturday kind of uh, we look at what we see on the offense and we say, okay, not only are they setting up this play with that play and really sort of, you know, getting into a tempo and a rhythm, which is what we really saw in the second half of last year, uh, starting with uh, pretty much the Notre Dame game and going right through. We haven't really seen that offensive look and I don't think it's by accident, but I have, uh, have no nothing to back it up. Lane said, "No, we can't afford to do that." You know, like NFL teams, this is not preseason. We're not, we're not there yet. But uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's a good question. Wish we had a good answer. We don't. <laughs> Saturday we may. We may have something Saturday. Um, well, Jamal, I guess keeping with the NFL theme, some of these questions are are lining right up. This is working out well. Uh, Jamal's not very happy, so I'll premise it with that. He said, this is not the NFL. In college football, it's about winning the championship. If he doesn't, if he, let's see, if he don't, he said, if he doesn't have that drive, then he should be fired, talking about Lane Kiffin, and get someone who will say it and mean it and get this team playing at a high level. I feel ashamed that my team is number two and playing so bad. So Jamal is not very happy with what's going on right there. I guess... Instead of uh, 91 points in the first two games, I guess you all wanted 191 points in the first two games. I mean, when you look at it, you could say, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll step in for Matt Barkley, for example. He's probably not thrilled to death that what he had 187 yards passing the other day and a lot of, you know, short balls and what have you. When you think about it, he tied the school record for six, you know, touchdown passes in a game where he's probably not very happy and who, and obviously Jamal not very happy. But, you know, he's got 10 touchdown passes in two games. You know, we can say, man, when are they going to turn Matt Barkley loose? You know, at this rate, he would end up the season 
with uh, uh, what are we, uh, 60 touchdown passes <laughs> against five interceptions. That's like – and now everybody will say, you know, Matt could – you know, Matt could be a lot more than this, but when you think about it, project out what has happened in these first two games, 60 touchdown passes to five interceptions, that's like a really good quarterback rating, I would guess, uh, just based – I mean, last year he was 39-7, and seven, and that was an unbelievable year. So, yeah, I mean, there are things you can look at and say, you know, these first two games uh, you wish something, you know, would have been different, but uh, – I do think, and it's not like the past when they say we got to win the Pac-12. I mean, that was Pete, you know, Carroll's mantra: we got to win the Pac-12, get to the Rose Bowl. If something else better happens, uh, well, that's great. Um, and obviously, so often, three times probably at least, uh, something happened to them in the Pac-12 or 10 then, and they didn't get to the championship game where they would have probably had a heck of a shot if they would have. So. What the you know the best way to you know to proceed down the road is I do think this team is and this coaching staff is thinking more uh, you know strategically in the long in the long run in the big picture as opposed to just tactically for this game or that game I I do think there is actually more thought of uh, of you know as much as you have to take the next game and you can't be looking down the road I do think that's in the picture for them. And so I think actually what what you said in terms of, you know, you've got to be looking at the championship and all that, I don't think they, they're not doing that. I think they are doing that. I think what you're seeing is a result of them doing that. Uh, but they also are, I think, really thinking about conserving personnel and not getting that injury that uh, really, really can sidetrack them. And, and there probably are some of those uh, out there that, that could do that. So, you know, they're in a tough uh, – It's not. this is not an easy easy deal. If you're in the SEC, you know, for example, all we got to do is win the championship in the SEC, and we're gold. Uh, that's not quite the same situation here, although with the way the Pac-12 performed and you got five uh, ranked teams now, uh, you look at USC schedule and you, you look at the rankings uh, – they probably they run the table. If they win every game, uh, I think they got a heck of a shot at being in that game. So I think that's Lane's thought right now is, you know, win each game, win each week, and uh, we'll let the rest take care of itself. And I think it probably will if that's the case. Yeah, even with USC dropping to number three in the coaches poll, which is an element of, you know, the BCS – you uh, Alabama and LSU are still going to play each other if USC wins out. I mean, Notre Dame looks better. UCLA's look better. Uh, Oregon's obviously a very good team. You'd have to beat them twice, most likely. Uh, you, you see about Stanford this coming weekend. I mean, that's a big one. Utah, that was a little bit of a – that's a game I thought was going to be a trap game for them to go out and lose like that. I mean, it's still going to be a tough on a Thursday night. But, but, but uh, replacing a, Utah now, you got the Arizonas. Look at them. Yeah. I mean, Arizona State just – you know, left Illinois for dead, and Arizona beats, uh, you know, a ranked, uh, you know, Oklahoma State like that. So, they, you know, if you, if you say we, you know, you discard a, a Utah team as the big threat, you, you replace it with two Arizona teams who uh, are just amazingly, uh, you know, everybody knew that the two new coaches would help them, but uh, who knew they had enough athletes? 
to do some of the things that they did offensively uh, uh, Saturday. That was a pretty amazing performance by the two Arizona schools. So uh, that makes things a little harder in a way. I mean, you won't overlook them, but uh, uh, USC's got a schedule now that you know comparable to anybody. So uh, I don't think uh, you know I don't think they needed to extend more than what they did probably. Uh, Saturday uh, on the you know the the coast to coast trip and the weather conditions and all that. I think they you know they did it about it. You know they 42 points. That's uh, not that's not bad. And there may be some things we'd like you'd like to see them do on defense. And and they may just not be showing uh, some of what they what they're going to do uh, until they absolutely feel like they have to, no matter what they say. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad – I mean, most times you're going to see Barkley throw for maybe, you know, 350 yards but only get, like, two touchdowns. But the six-touchdown part, that's what's really going to help his high – like you said, he yeah. could end up with – And that was almost by accident. I mean, part of that was the offensive line isn't performing as much better as Lane thought they did pass protection and as they did improve some. There are areas of concern, and one of those areas is breakdown in the short, you know, power running game, where you get a mistake and you got a bad play, as USC showed uh, fairly too often Saturday. Uh, so instead of running, you know, running the ball in the red zone, instead of running the ball, you know, on short yardage, they let Matt throw it, you know, and they decided, you know, let's throw a fade to Marquise, and if they single covering. Marquis is going to catch it, or if uh, no matter what they do to Robert, he's going to make some kind of sensational catch, and and uh, you know, good for them. I don't think they'd like to be doing that, but you know, right now, it probably works for Robert, it works for Marquis, it works for Matt, but they do have to figure out what the heck are we going to do on short yard. I mean, that that some of Anuka play yeah. uh, on fourth and one was just an absolute disaster. I mean, did anybody do anything? I'm not sure that they got any part of that play right, you know, from <laughs> every one of the offensive linemen to, uh, uh, you know, to Soma. I mean, it was just, that was as ugly, uh, uh, you know, a play as you're ever going to see. And that, you got to get that squared away. you got to be able to run the ball uh, on fourth and one and feel like you got a chance. Sure, yeah, they could have run a play action. They could have faked it and all that. You know, oh, they could have run a reverse. If you got to be running reverses, uh, you know, to, to gain, you know, to get your ground game going, uh, that's probably not the ideal situation. So they got to, they really do have to get that offensive line, you know, squared away. And I think without, you know, and without uh, knowing exactly what's going to happen with that center position that we all saw with uh, Cully, uh, you know, getting injured at the end of the game, uh, I think it's a, a really key area to focus on. And I know, you know, David Shaw, Sanford's coach, said at the uh, you know, Pac-12 media day that he thought his defensive line was the equal of anybody in the country. So uh, that'll be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, place to focus your attention, I think, uh, in terms of Saturday's game, uh, how USC handles that, and, and, and does the offensive game plan, or the attack, uh, reflect uh, a growing confidence in the offensive line or or oh, if they have to replace anybody uh how does that how does that uh, you know how does that impact the offense going forward i mean really it was so obvious once they started 
believing that, you know, this offensive line can do what we need it to do. It can protect the quarterback especially, which they, you know, without the uh, the one bad call at, at Oregon, they, they're the number one, you know, uh, offensive line in the country in terms of protecting the quarterback last year. So that team came around really, really well. Uh, and that's the challenge for this team. But, uh, but I think, you know, Saturday, if I would watch any part of that game, I'm going to, see if uh, USC's offensive line is really ready to go and, uh, and, and, it, and it reflects the fact that the coaches really have confidence that whatever we, we need them to do, uh, they're going to be able to do, and they're going to be able to handle. I think one of the things Matt did the last two years is he's really been able to take advantage. Of, it looks like uh, when you look at those games of Stanford's uh, lineup uh, in terms of uh, – you know, what defense they're in and, and where they are. Matt, I think, you know, that, that happened with Matt and Robert two years ago. It happened, you know, throughout the game uh, last year. Uh, that USC's been pretty good against some pretty good Stanford defenses. So uh, I think the key is going to be the offensive line. Can they, uh, you know, a, a adjust and adapt, or does USC have to keep it simpler like they did last year at the start of the year? I think, that's the, I think that may be the most single important as much as people focus on the other cornerback, I think the development of the offensive line to be able to do the things that this offense needs them to do uh, uh, in order to take advantage of all its weapons and to get the coaches comfortable in, uh, you know, in doing that, uh, I think is, is the number one thing that this, uh, this team has to do right now. All right, we got one last question from uh, Lawrence in Dallas, Texas, and it's a uh... It's an equipment question. I know you're an expert at all this stuff, Dan. Yeah. So uh, He says, I understand that some people are upset about the changes in the uniform, more specifically the cleats, but did anyone think about updating the cleats could help with footing or people's ankles, a.k.a. for Robert Woods? I think that with change could come benefits. Wanted to get what your take was. Well, actually, they were going to update them. Uh, they were updated. Uh, in effect, uh, uh, Nike had come out with uh, this new cleat. I think it's called the Vapor Glide or whatever, and it's like $149 shoe. I think it's the top-of-the-line Nike shoe. It's the one that Oregon wears, so you know it's the top-of-the-line Nike shoe. I mean, it has cleats that actually retract or uh, uh, extend based on the pressure. I mean, it's like the... They, uh, it has the ability, these cleats have the ability to adjust to the pressure that the player puts on them at, the, at a particular point and, uh, and adjust at that point. So these are like really state-of-the-art cleats. I think the only question was, are you going to get the black ones? Uh, they were more black than white this year, uh, the Nike look. And they're the ones Marquise Lee is wearing. And they got those earlier. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, Phil Knight appears at the John McKay, you know, the McKay Center dedication, and and all this buzz is going on. And I think you know Nike decided, hey, wait a minute, you know, USC's going to be one of the absolute elite teams in the country, and USC's not going to change their helmet, they're not going to change their, uh, you know, jerseys or pants. And those are all Nikes, but that's nothing Nike can do to you know advertise there. So Nike came up with a a modified a. Uh, uh, that sock that they use, they're, they're going to use in basketball this year, and then they came up with all these different colored versions of the uh, of the cleat. So what USC, I think, about a month ago, 
talking to the equipment people, thought they had, you know, kind of, here's the latest Nike cleat, the, the latest technology, and it's going to look more like the classic uh, USC look from if you think about when Carson and Troy and uh, you know, Paulo and all of those guys played, and they went to this uniform look. Uh, and then Nike all of a sudden came up with these tricolored uh, shoes. They're the same shoe. So it's not like the technology is different or the fit is different or the, the materials are different. It's the same shoe, same price. They just figured out a way to put three colors on them. And one of the questions has been, is that too much of a silver look as opposed to, um, uh, you know, a white look to match, uh, match the jerseys? I think they work better with the white away jerseys. They, they seem to, uh, the, color, uh, the color combination works better there. And the players, to be honest, are using a lot of tape. And they've got a tape that's really matching kind of the cardinal color. And you're seeing more of that spats look, which gives them a little more solid red color on a lot of their shoes. So, you know, I think originally Nike wasn't thrilled about covering up the logo, the swish. But it seems like that hasn't been so much of a problem this year. But you're seeing... Uh, you're seeing more color, but you're not seeing better technology. They've got the latest, and I think that's a good thing because I thought, you know, the last couple of years, Nike, uh, it looked like Oregon had the very latest, most expensive, most technologically advanced Nike shoes, and I'm not sure this year there will be that, that, that difference uh, in terms of, of that. So uh, uh, I think the shoes are – I think the only one who's holding out right now is Marquise. And his thought is somewhat mine, is he wants to play in shoes that he's broken in enough uh, and not play in, like, right out of the box. Or some guys can do that. A lot of the basketball players can do that. Take the shoes, you know, some of those guys in the NBA wear a brand-new pair every night, every game. Uh, and there are a lot of other people like Marquise who said, you know, i got to break those things in before I – so he's still wearing his uh, – the ones from, uh, like, a month ago. Same model, same – you know, everything is the same, only he's got – uh, he's got the the black ones, although he's got enough tape on it that it's it's not quite so obvious. But uh, uh, but uh, the shoe question, I think, uh, probably resolved itself now that they've had two games in them and figured out how to how to tape them up and they're broken in and all that. I think uh, they are the best shoes you can buy. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff as always. Hope you enjoyed your trip back east, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you up in. Palo Alto this weekend for the USC Stanford game. We'll all be there, so we'll get to. We'll get, should be a good podcast next Monday. But thanks again for joining us and uh, sharing all the insight. Yeah, this is the big week. I think. I think everybody at USC for since last year has looked at, at the schedule and said, you know, this is the week that matters. Really, the matters the most. No matter what the, you want to say about Oregon, I think this one really. This is the one circled. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Peristyle.